Father, Lord of heaven, who sent forth your spirit to hover over the face of the waters and to fill creation with your light and life and love. O Father, Lord of heaven, who poured out your spirit through your Son upon the apostles in the upper room, flashing forth in flames of fire that the church might come alive in spirit and in truth and be your new creation. O Father above, pour out upon this congregation gathered in the name of Christ that same spirit that we might come alive in holiness, that we might become brilliant in purity, that we might catch the fire of righteousness as living sacrifices, that we might be filled with your light and life and love. O God, your Holy Spirit is indeed the promised gift of gifts. And today we celebrate his coming to us as he flows to us from you, O Father, through your Son. And so to you be all glory, eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God from the very beginning, even now, and forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Father, even as your Spirit inspired the words of Scripture to point us to Christ Jesus, so may your Spirit open our eyes to receive the words of Scripture and to see the truth that is there, again, the truth of Christ Jesus. Father, we pray that you would do this for us by your Spirit, the gift you have given to us as your church. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Today is the 50th day after Easter. It is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, Pentecost is, or at least should be, one of the great feast days in the church calendar. Uh, But sadly, Pentecost is largely neglected, and it's really always been this way. There are fewer hymns, uh, certainly fewer well-known hymns than there are for other Christian festivals and seasons. It's a real struggle to pick out Pentecost hymns that you all will enjoy singing. Uh, There are fewer traditions associated with Pentecost. In fact, outside of wearing red to church on Pentecost Sunday, which not even many people do these days, Uh, there really aren't any traditions at all associated with Pentecost. We don't exchange cards or gifts. We don't have big parties or big church services. For most Christians, Pentecost goes completely unnoticed. Not even Pentecostals celebrate Pentecost. That's how bad it is. Well, how do you think the Holy Spirit feels about this? Uh, How do you think the Spirit feels about Uh, the significance of the day of Pentecost, or the lack thereof, the lack of its significance. Uh, On the one hand, you might think that the Holy Spirit is really just fine with it. It's kind of like the Spirit to hide in the background, to not call attention to himself. The Spirit is always calling our attention to Jesus. And so perhaps the Spirit is just fine with Christmas and Easter being the really big holidays, and then Pentecost kind of being overlooked. Maybe the Spirit would say we shouldn't even have a day of Pentecost. The Spirit has been called the shy member of the Trinity. Why? Because the Spirit does not call attention to himself. John 16 tells us when the Spirit comes, he will glorify Christ by taking what is Christ and giving it to us. The Spirit doesn't want to be in the spotlight. The Spirit wants to shine his own spotlight on Christ Jesus and call all attention to him. He wants to draw our eyes to Jesus. So perhaps the Spirit isn't too troubled 
uh, by the lack of big Pentecost celebrations. But I've got to speak up for the Spirit here uh, and say, on the other hand, uh, I think surely the neglect of Pentecost, the neglect of the Spirit, really, grieves the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, after all, the promised gift of gifts. His presence among us ought to be celebrated. No member of the Trinity can be safely neglected or ignored. Uh, We need to understand the work of the Spirit. We need to worship the Spirit and commune with the Spirit. We need to cultivate a relationship with the Spirit, even as we cultivate a relationship with the Father and the Son. So what do we need to know about the Holy Spirit? What's the Holy Spirit's story, so to speak? We, we might tend to think that the Spirit is largely invisible uh, in the Old Testament Scriptures. And then you have Acts 2, where all of a sudden, almost out of nowhere, the Spirit comes in and grabs all the headlines with all this fanfare, the wind and the fire and the tongues. But then the Spirit seems to, be, to go invisible again Right after that, we don't really know what to do with the Spirit post-Pentecost. It's as if the Spirit has a story with just one chapter, really just one page. Acts 2, and that's pretty much it. But that can't be right. There's much more about the Spirit than just Acts 2. In fact, Acts 2 is the culmination of themes about the Holy Spirit that have been building up to this point. And then everything after Acts 2 and the rest of the New Testament flows out of what happened there in Acts 2 when the Spirit was poured out. It's been said, Pentecost is an event that cannot be repeated, but neither has it been rescinded. It is an event with ongoing implications for the church, a once-and-for-all event, even as Christ's death and resurrection are once-and-for-all events with ongoing ramifications for the church, so it is with Pentecost. So what is the Spirit's story? What's the story of the Spirit? Really, in a sense, the Spirit's story has no beginning because along with the Father and the Son, the Spirit is eternal. The Spirit is a person. He's not an impersonal force. We want to follow the Apostle Luke and not George Lucas when it comes to our understanding of the Holy Spirit. Not an impersonal force. He's a person. Uh, We also don't want to fall into the trap that many uh, in the church seem to today of just identifying the Holy Spirit with our feelings. The Holy Spirit's not a force and he's not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is a person, a divine person. He is God, the Holy Spirit. And so his story really is God's story. His story starts, if we can even speak that way, with the eternal trinity. The Father eternally begets the Son through the Spirit. And the Spirit proceeds eternally from the Father through the Son. This is the church's way of capturing what Scripture says about the relations between the persons of the Trinity from all eternity. Next Sunday is Trinity Sunday. Perhaps we'll get to look at that a little bit more next Sunday. This is who God is in Himself. God is a Trinity. The Spirit is the gift of the Father to the Son and the Son's returning gift to the Father. The Father glorifies the Son by giving Him the Spirit and, of course, the Spirit in turn glorifies the Father in and through the Spirit. And this mutual glorification, this giving and receiving and giving again has been the heartbeat of God's life from all eternity. This is what the life of the Trinity is like. God exists in a communion of self-giving love. 
within the God who is love and who loves himself, there is a person who is the lover. There is a person who is the beloved. And there is a person who is the love they share. Lover, beloved, and love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One divine love shared three ways. One love with each divine person sharing that divine love uniquely. The life of the Trinity is a life of self-giving love and the Spirit is right in the middle of it. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the shared glory and love of the Father and the Son. And that is why sometimes the Spirit is called the Spirit of the Father and sometimes the Spirit is called the Spirit of the Son because He is shared by the Father and the Son together. The three persons are one God sharing one divine life of love and fellowship, a life of communion and communication. And it's not as if Deity is split up three ways. No, each person possesses the fullness of the deity. They all share the same divine attributes. They're only distinguished by their peculiar relations to one another. The key thing for us to see here is that the Spirit is fully God. Indeed, as the Nicene Creed says, the Spirit is to be worshipped and glorified. Worshipped and glorified even as the Father and Son are worshipped and glorified. That's really our starting point for understanding the Spirit's story. The Spirit is God and has been with God from all eternity. But you know, the Creed tells us something else about the Holy Spirit. In the Nicene Creed, we also uh, find the church confessing that the Spirit is the Lord and giver of life. That is the phrase that is associated with the Spirit. He is the Lord and giver of life. And here we see the Spirit's story begins to include creation. The Spirit's role in creation. Genesis 1, the Spirit hovering over the watery earth in the beginning. Genesis 2, the Spirit breathing life into Adam, making him a living being in God's image. The Spirit is the Creator. With the Father and the Son, He has a role in the creation of the universe. Not only that, He's the Lord and giver of life and that He is also the recreator. He is the Lord and giver of new life. Once sin enters into the creation, the Spirit comes to heal and restore and enliven. Sin brings death. Genesis 3, darkest page in the Bible. Adam and Eve turn against God. Sin enters Death enters, and so now what will the Spirit do? The Spirit comes to bring new life as the answer to sin, the antidote to sin. The Spirit gives life, creation life, earthly life. The Spirit also gives new life, eternal life, life in Christ. He gave the first Adam life, but He also gives new life in the second Adam. So many texts of Scripture connect the Spirit to life. They just leap off the page once you start to see them. Job 33, 4. The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. John 6, 63. The Spirit gives life, but the flesh profits nothing. Romans 8, 2. The law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 10 and 11. Your body is subject to death because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. The Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life 
to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. Paul in Romans 8 continually associating the Spirit with life. The Spirit overcoming death that sin has brought in. The Spirit gives us life. The Spirit gives us new life in Christ. The Spirit will give us resurrection life at the last day. The Spirit communicates life to us. He is God's life. He is God's gift of life. As the Lord and giver of life, the Spirit takes what is Christ's and gives it to us. He gives us the things of Christ. He gives us Christ's new life. He gives us resurrection life. Even now, yes, ultimately in the future, re-embodied life in eternity. But even now, the Spirit makes us sharers in Christ's resurrection life. And this is just as the prophets promised. Again and again, when the prophets describe the coming of the Messiah and of His kingdom, right there along the, with, with the Messiah, doing what only God can do is the Holy Spirit being poured out, doing what only God can do. And so in Ezekiel's vision, uh, Ezekiel has a picture of a valley of dry bones. It's like a graveyard. The people of God are dead and their corpses have decayed and all that's left are these bones. But into this valley of dry bones, a wind starts to blow. The wind of God's Spirit. And it reassembles the bones and knits them back together and puts flesh on those bones and makes a new humanity come to life. It makes the, the Holy Spirit makes the people of God alive again. That's Ezekiel's picture. In Isaiah's picture, it's a little bit different. Isaiah pictures the creation as a dry desert. And the Holy Spirit is poured out on this dry desert like rain to make the dry desert a fruitful garden. The howling wilderness becomes a new Eden because the Spirit has rained down from above upon the people of God. In John's Gospel, the coming of the Holy Spirit to dwell in us is the coming of the Son and the Father. That's really the amazing thing. When the Spirit comes to dwell in us, the Father and the Son come to dwell in us as well by the Spirit. So you could say, through the Holy Spirit, the whole Trinity dwells in us. That's why Paul says our bodies become temples of the Holy Spirit. The Shekinah glory of God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in each one of us. The Spirit brings us into the same communion with the Father and the Son He has enjoyed eternally. So we are now wrapped up in the arms of divine love that are the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been called that part of the Gospel that indwells us. You have that part of the Gospel that is what Christ does for us outside of us. And you have that part of the Gospel that is what the Holy Spirit does within us, indwelling us. The Spirit's work is gospel just as much as the Son's work is gospel. Indeed, you can't have one without the other. If you only have the Son's work and not the Spirit's work, you don't have a gospel. All that Christ did in His, in his suffering and His dying and His rising does not avail anything for us unless we are united to Him by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to make us one with Christ. This is the work of the Holy Spirit to join us to Christ, to unite us to Christ, to be the bond that holds us and Christ together. So by the Holy Spirit, we come to share in all Christ has and has done. We come to share in all of Christ's doing and dying. Everything He did on our behalf becomes ours because of the Holy Spirit. 
We can further unpack the Spirit's story by looking at His symbols. Oh, there's so many rich symbols of the Spirit in Scripture. So many ways the Spirit is symbolized. Let me give you a few of these. The Spirit is symbolized by wind. The mighty breath of God carrying His Word along. Even there in Genesis 1, you can think of it this way in the creation account. The Spirit was blowing over the waters at creation. Later, the Spirit blew away the waters of the flood and then of the Red Sea to bring salvation to God's people. The Spirit, as the wind of God, blows where He wills, bringing God's salvation to us. The Spirit is symbolized by water. The water that flowed from the rock in the wilderness. The water that falls like rain in Isaiah's prophetic vision to make the creation fruitful. The waters poured out over us at baptism to heal and cleanse and renew. The waters that flowed out of Christ at His, uh, his side as He was hanging on the cross. The living water, the kind of water that when you drink it, you will never thirst again. Only the water of the Spirit can quench our thirst eternally. We've been made to drink of this one Spirit. The Spirit is symbolized by fire. The flames that transform the animal sacrifices, causing them to ascend to the Father as a sweet-smelling aroma. The flame of jealous love that flashes between the bride and bridegroom, binding them together, giving them a love stronger than death in Song of Songs chapter 8. The fire that came upon the disciples in the form of tongues in Acts chapter 2 to make them living torches that they might shine God's light and God's love into the world. To, to make them living sacrifices that they too might be pleasing to God as they offer themselves to Him. At Pentecost, God struck a match to set the world ablaze, to set the world on fire with His love. The Holy Spirit is the fiery, jealous love of God. The Spirit is symbolized by oil. Oil in Scripture that is used to anoint and consecrate, to heal, to strengthen, to sanctify. The oil that flowed down Aaron's beard, pointing to the unity of God's people. The oil of the Spirit binding us together. The oil that burned in the temple lampstand as the light of the world. The oil that we have been anointed with now to make us God's holy people. The oil that we use when we anoint the sick to bring God's healing. The Spirit is symbolized in all kinds of ways. These symbols show us the Spirit's story. The story of the Spirit, of course, continues in the life of the church. The Spirit is the Lord and giver of spiritual gifts. The Spirit Himself is the ultimate gift of God. The Spirit is the ultimate gift God can give us because the Spirit is God Himself. When God gives us the Spirit, He gives us Himself. This is the promised gift of gifts, the ultimate gift we could ever receive. To have the Spirit is to have everything. To have the Spirit is to have the whole Trinity. It's to have every spiritual blessing. The Spirit is the gift that contains every other gift. In this one gift is every other gift we could ever need. But this one gift of the Spirit given to the church is manifest in a variety of ways, like a kaleidoscope. It breaks up, it breaks up the, the, the colors into a spectrum you can see. So it is with the gifts of the Spirit. The one gift of the Spirit is refracted into all different kinds of gifts in the church. And so the Spirit gives to each of us a unique set of gifts 
And these gifts are given to us for service in the church. The Spirit gives each of us a unique set of gifts so we can serve one another. You could say the Spirit is the gift that keeps on giving. Having been given this Spirit, we now give the Spirit to one another in the form of these gifts that we use in service of the church. Because the Spirit has been poured out on us, some of us have gifts of prayer. Some of us have gifts of teaching. Some of us have gifts of encouragement. Some of us have gifts of evangelism. Some of us have gifts of mercy. Some of us have gifts of administration. Some of us have gifts of judgment. Some of us have gifts of counsel. Every gift the Spirit gives us is a gift we need. The Spirit enables each of us to build up the church, to build up the house of God by building each other up in truth and wisdom and righteousness as we use these gifts for the good of the whole. We each have been given gifts individually that we might serve the whole of the body of Christ. The Spirit is our equipper for ministry, or better, you might even say the Spirit is our equipment. He is the only equipment we need to do God's work in the world, armed with the Spirit, the church has everything she needs to accomplish her mission. The Spirit is the Lord and giver of beauty. This is why the Spirit is so often in Scripture closely associated with art and music. And so, for example, in Ephesians 5, we find that the Spirit glorifies speech, turning speech into song. And so when we are filled with the Spirit, we, seek to, so we speak to one another. We don't just speak to one another. We sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The Spirit makes us sing because the Spirit Himself is a singer. The Spirit turns speech into song. He glorifies and beautifies speech. Indeed, the Spirit turns the church into a work of art. God's architectural and musical masterpiece. The Spirit builds us into a cathedral of living stones in which God dwells. The Spirit is forming us into God's masterpiece, His master architectural work, a house in which He will dwell for all eternity. Not only that, the Spirit makes us into a choir where not just our voices but our lives harmonize with one another. Jonathan Edwards said it is especially the work of the Holy Spirit to bring the world to beauty, to glorify the world in every way, to bring perfection and order out of chaos so that the beauty of the world communicates and participates in God's own beauty. Edward says this is the work of the Spirit to bring harmony to the world, to make the creation sing God's song, to make God's creation sing in tune. The Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of aesthetics. He is the Lord and giver of beauty, the Lord and giver of peace and joy and harmony. Further, the Spirit is the Lord and giver of revelation. The Holy Spirit delivers God's revelation to us in the things God has made and especially in the things God has written. The Spirit is the author of the book of nature you could say, and also the author of the book of Scripture. The Spirit inspired the words of the Bible so that this book, the Scriptures, this book is a spiritual book. In this book, the Spirit speaks to us. The, the, the Scripture is the inspired speech 
of the Spirit. And so it is infallible and inerrant. It is clear and sufficient. It is authoritative. Indeed, it shares in God's own authority because it is the voice of God's own Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit has a story, but the Holy Spirit is also a storyteller. He's the ultimate storyteller, the original storyteller. We only tell stories because the Spirit is with us. And the Spirit has recorded God's story for us in the Scriptures. The Spirit gives us knowledge of God, yes, even of the deep things of God. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the secret things of God hidden away in the depths of God's own heart from before the foundation of the world are known by the Spirit of God. And they become ours through the Spirit that was poured out at Pentecost. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says the Spirit searches the deep things of God and makes them known to us by giving us the mind of the Spirit. The Spirit not only inspired the Scriptures, the Spirit illumines our minds to receive the Scriptures. The Spirit opens our minds and our hearts to receive God's truth. The Spirit makes us a spiritual people, a people who know God. Of course, the story of the Spirit doesn't stand alone. The Spirit's story is intertwined with the story of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of Jesus' humanity. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary's womb and made the Son sent by the Father incarnate in the human flesh, in human flesh so that Jesus would be born of the Virgin, even as He was conceived of by the Holy Spirit. Conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. He's the Lord and giver of Jesus' humanity. Further, the Spirit came upon Jesus at His baptism and then drove Him into the wilderness to combat Satan. The Spirit enabled Jesus to preach words of truth and wisdom. Isaiah 11 talks about this sevenfold anointing that the Messiah would receive the sevenfold spiritual anointing, seven ways the Spirit would speak through Him and work through Him. And you see that worked out in the Gospels in His earthly ministry. By the Spirit, Jesus cast out demons. The Spirit gave Him victory over Satan. By the Spirit, He offered Himself up to the Father on the cross. And by the Spirit, He rose from the dead. The Spirit raised up Jesus from the grave on the third day. The Spirit's story is Christ's story. The Spirit is there at every step along the way in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. The Spirit's story is Christ's story and Christ's story is the Spirit's story. Which again means that the Spirit's story is the Gospel story. You can't tell the story of the Gospel without the Holy Spirit. And of course, this continues. Because the Spirit's story is not only intertwined with Jesus' story, the Spirit's story is intertwined with the church's story. And so after Christ ascends into heaven, He makes up for His absence by sending the Holy Spirit to continue and complete His ministry. Indeed, Jesus says, it is good for me to go away. Why is it good? Because the Father will send to you through me another helper, the Holy Spirit. And it will be better for you to have the Holy Spirit than to have me with you in this kind of earthly ministry. It's better for me to go away and for you to receive the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus ascends, the Spirit descends. 
But it's so interesting how in that upper room discourse in John 14 to 16, how Jesus describes the coming of the Holy Spirit. Again and again, he links the coming of the Holy Spirit with his own coming. Jesus says, I will come to you. I will not leave you orphans. Well, how does he come to us? He comes to us in the Holy Spirit. Jesus comes back to His disciples in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit forms us into the body of Christ. The presence of the Spirit compensates, more than compensates, for the absence of Christ. The Spirit, you could say, is the presence of the absent Christ. Christ is with us by means of His Holy Spirit. The Christ who is in heaven dwells in us and among us here on earth by means of His Holy Spirit. And the Spirit forms us into the body of Christ to make Christ present and visible in the world so that we become His spiritual hands and feet. The hands and feet of Jesus in the world. See, the Spirit wasn't given to make us feel good about ourselves, but to empower us to live and die for others. The Spirit fills us up so we can pour ourselves out. The Spirit makes us the body of Christ so we can be like Christ, so we can live like Christ, so we can sacrifice and love like Christ. Of course, the work of the Spirit goes beyond the four walls of the church because the Spirit is the Lord and giver of life. He's also the Lord and giver of culture. And especially you see this in the Old Testament where the Spirit pops up sporadically. But think about the kinds of things that the Spirit does when He shows up in the Old Covenant Scriptures. In the Old Testament, the Spirit comes upon craftsmen and musicians and soldiers and politicians and yes, even preachers to enable them to carry out their vocations. And so in the book of Exodus, the Spirit gifts Bezalel and Oholiab as artisans, as craftsmen, so they can craft the tabernacle furnishings with exquisite skill and beauty. Anytime we take some raw material in the world and transform it into something better, something more beautiful, that is the Spirit at work. In Judges, the Spirit comes upon Othniel and Gideon and Samson to make them skilled and courageous in warfare. He trains their hands to fight. Anytime you see somebody excelling in their vocation, using their own resources and abilities to do their job well with excellence. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. In the Psalms, the Spirit comes upon David to make him a great musician and poet to train God's people in musical praise. All musical beauty can be traced back to the Spirit. All truth is God's truth. All truth is the Spirit's truth. But also, all beauty is God's beauty. All beauty is the Spirit's beauty. In the prophetic era, the Spirit was with Daniel to make him a great imperial politician and statesman so he could stand at the right hand of multiple Gentile rulers and direct the courses of these world empires. The Spirit enabled Daniel to be a master politician. Anytime you see a statesman carrying out his work on behalf of the common good, we don't see a lot of that in our day. We have a dearth of the Spirit in politics, I think. But anytime you see the Spirit at work in a statesman, the, the art of politics, that is the Spirit at work. And of course, the Spirit enabled the prophets to preach, to deliver God's Word. In Acts 2 at Pentecost, coming into the New Testament, the Spirit comes upon Peter to make him a great preacher and evangelist. 
Indeed, the Spirit is the missionary spirit, the Lord and giver of mission. He is the Lord and giver of evangelism. He is the Lord and giver of comfort, who through his spokesman announces our forgiveness and assures us of salvation. Paul in Romans 5 says, through the Spirit, God has poured his love into our hearts. The Spirit is the divine matchmaker who brings together and unites Christ and his bride, the church. He comforts us and assures us in this way. You know, really, the only royal wedding you ought to care about is the royal marriage of Christ to his people. As the Holy Spirit bonds us together, the Holy Spirit is the divine matchmaker. The Holy Spirit is the love that Christ shares with his church. The Holy Spirit is the tie that binds. And so now, the story of the Spirit includes your story. And my story, your story is now a spiritual story because the Spirit has entered your story and joined you to Christ. And so now your story is part of the Spirit's story and the Spirit is in your story, your personal story. The Spirit has come upon each of us, renewing us and gifting us, enabling us to live lives that please God, lives that bear the fruit of the Spirit, as Paul lays it out in Galatians 5, lives that serve the good of others, building up the church and manifesting God's reign in the world. The Spirit is the Lord and giver of true spirituality. We hear people today talk about how, oh, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Okay, And they may mean something problematic by that or not so problematic, depending on how they're using those terms. But biblically, the Spirit makes us truly spiritual and truly religious. One of the problems, I think sometimes we think of, you know, the, 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 the spiritual person is a person who is so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly good. That's not true. The work of the Spirit cannot be confined to the inner man. It cannot be compartmentalized. True spirituality is not found in the person who avoids the physical or the cultural as much as possible. No, the Holy Spirit makes us practical and wise and engaged. Engaged with one another, engaged with the world, engaged with God's creation. The Holy Spirit makes us truly human. The Dutch theologian A.A. von Ruler uh, once said, we become Christian in order that we might be truly human. Anything else would be subhuman. Our true humanity comes to realization as the Spirit unites us to Christ. And it's in Christ Jesus that we live out a truly human life. The Spirit creates the true humanism. He's the Lord and giver of true humanity. And so in the Spirit, we begin to live according to God's law and according to God's design in all of life. And so the Spirit shapes not just what we might think of as our spiritual lives. The Spirit shapes the way we do politics and art and family and education. The Spirit molds us and shapes us in every area in our lives. The Spirit makes us useful here on earth. He makes us full of love and wisdom. He makes us bold. He makes us kind. He makes us wise. He makes us like Jesus. Paul says that by the Spirit we confess Jesus is Lord. And that's true. And it's also by the Spirit that we begin to obey Jesus' Lordship in every area 
of our lives, bringing him glory in every area of our lives. See, we need to understand the Holy Spirit is just as concerned with public life as he is with private life, just as concerned with politics as he is with prayer. The Spirit is the Lord and giver of civilization. And he is the Lord and giver of Christian civilization. He is the Lord and giver of discipleship and the Lord and giver of discipled nations. The Spirit is the Lord and giver of globalization and of unity. He brings together people from every tongue and tribe into the covenant family of God where true unity can be found. The Spirit creates a new kinship. Paul calls it the bond of peace. The Spirit binds us together and makes out of the many one new human family, the family God promised to Abraham. You see this in Acts 2 where the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, reverses Babel. Remember what happened at Babel where the people were divided and all these different people groups? The Holy Spirit reverses Babel by creating the promised family of Abraham, by making us one, one new humanity. And so the Holy Spirit is the answer to racism and nationalism and classism and every other man-made ism that fragments humanity. The Spirit comes to make us whole in Christ, to make us new, to make us one. He is the Lord and giver of unity. He is the Lord and giver of Catholicity. What Babel scattered, the Spirit now gathers. That's what Pentecost is all about. The Holy Spirit is therefore the Lord and giver of hope. Indeed, the Holy Spirit is our hope because He is Christ with us. He is our hope and He gives us hope. He gives us hope for the future because He contains the future in Himself. He is the Spirit of peace and joy, the Spirit of love and grace. And the presence of this Spirit with us gives us confidence to do God's work faithfully in the world. And so what can you do? What does it mean to live on this side of Pentecost? What does post-Pentecost life look like? Well, during this season of Pentecost, this season of the Spirit, let us remember the story of the Spirit so that throughout all our days we might walk in the Spirit and serve in the Spirit and sing in the Spirit and bear the fruit of the Spirit and shine with the light of the Spirit. Let us share in the mission of the Spirit to the nations and join in with the Spirit in bringing glory to Jesus and in taking the things of Jesus that we've now been given and giving them to others. Let us make music in the Spirit and pray in the Spirit and comfort one another in the Spirit. Let us produce goodness and beauty in the Spirit. Let us speak truth in the Spirit. Let us maintain the unity of the Spirit. Let us share together in spiritual food and drink, even as we have been baptized by the same Spirit. Let us be filled with the Spirit and let us sow in the Spirit that we might reap in the Spirit. For the Spirit is God Himself. God in us. God with us. God for us. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. The gift of your Holy Spirit binding us to Christ, binding us to one another, 
the Holy Spirit binding one generation to the next, the Holy Spirit binding heaven to earth even. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, the gift of your love. Father, may we share in this gift. May we be wrapped up in this gift of your love, the gift of the Spirit. And may we share this love with others. Even as the Spirit has flowed out from you through your Son to us, may the Spirit flow out from us to others, that others might be touched by your love as we minister to them in the power of the Spirit. All of this we pray in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.